With the recent northeastern storm dumping up to 46 inches of snow in the mid-Atlantic and New England states, skiers and slope owners are rejoicing with the early winter snow cover. Ski areas rush to open their slopes to skiers and boarders anxiously waiting for the new season to begin. Add COVID fatigue into the mix, and the ski industry has increased optimism for the coming season. Outdoor recreational opportunities provide for those struggling with extended isolation lethargy, and ski areas are happy to provide an outlet. But alpine skiing and boarding are not without significant risks. Injury rates have fallen from 5 to 8 per 1,000 skier days in the 1970s to 2 or 3 per 1,000 skier days now. A skier day represents one individual day of skiing. Advancements in binding technology have improved skier safety, but helmet efficiency is still debatable. The main dangers include hitting rocks, trees, or other people, getting hit by another person, falls resulting in injury, sunburns, snow blindness, falling into tree wells, and avalanches. Alpine skiers and riders reach summits by way of chairlifts or gondolas. What are the safety statistics for this equipment? Chairlifts are safe, right? Statistically speaking, chairlifts are incredibly safe, being one of the safest modes of transportation. While 13 people have died from ski lift malfunctions from 1972 to 2017, there were over 17 billion lift passengers during that same time frame. You are five times more likely to die in an elevator than on a chairlift. Injuries from chairlift accidents are equally low. Only 118 persons have suffered lift injuries during the same time period. And of those injuries, many are due to skier error, not mechanical issues. The first chairlift in the United States was installed at Sun Valley in Idaho, at America's first ski resort. Designed by a bridge engineer at Union Pacific, the railway magnate William Averall Harriman took it upon himself to provide a method of transporting skiers 2,000 feet above the mountain's base. The design was based on a banana loader, a device used to bring bananas down from the mountains. Instead of hooks, chairs were mounted on the cable, and the first chairlift design was complete. Union Pacific constructed it in time for the 1936 to 1937 winter ski season, and by the 1960s, it became the industry standard for ski areas to transport their patrons to the top of the mountain. The first lift in the East, which was the fourth in the nation, was completed one year after Union Pacific installed the Sun Valley lift. Mount Rowe was the site of the new lift in Guilford, New Hampshire. The second lift in New England would not appear until three years later, in 1940, at Stowe, Vermont. Hussey Manufacturing Company was the general contractor assigned to the Mount Rowe project, supervised by Charles A. Proctor, an advisor at Sun Valley who was involved with their chairlift construction. Proctor likely duplicated the efforts from Sun Valley. The American Steel and Wire Company provided materials and assisted with the construction, providing not only the bull wheels and cable, but the first ever lift towers built from steel and not wood. Laborers worked double shifts to ensure its timely completion. The Rowe Mountain chairlift was 3,200 feet long and rose 714 feet. 
The lift ran at 400 feet per minute, and the ride to the top took about eight minutes. The chairlift had a capacity of 200 people per hour. Construction began in 1937, and it was completed on January 15, 1938. The new chairlift opened officially on February 5, 1938, with the first ride reserved for New Hampshire Governor Francis P. Murphy. These fancy new modes of transportation up the mountain were single chair lifts, meaning one person to a chair, with a series of chairs spaced throughout the cable span up and down the mountain. The lift appealed not only to skiers during the winter, but in the summertime for tourists and berry pickers. The uniqueness of this new mode of transport proved immensely popular. Dignitaries and journalists alike raved about the lift, the ride, and the beautiful views from the top of the mountain. Lake Winnipesaukee and the White Mountains lay out before riders of the chair, offering superb views. The lift was not without criticism, though. As the Lewiston Evening Journal observed, the new addition to the mountain made the ski area a rendezvous for lazy skiers, as they put it. Nonetheless, lazy skiers from all over the Northeast converged at the site to enjoy its convenient transport to the top. The chair and its design proved peculiar, with its little idiosyncrasies. Whenever it stopped or started, the chair would lurch, and extra slack in the cable would cause the loaded chairs to bounce, sometimes hitting the ground in spots where there wasn't much ground clearance. Nonetheless, people loved the chair that would take you up Mount Rowe. It was not uncommon to find long lines at the popular attraction. But in December of 1939, a fire broke out in the lift's upper terminal building. Knocking the chair offline until it was replaced. The chairlift's popularity ensured a quick reconstruction, and the lift was soon back online. But the years of use and the unit's uniqueness at the time of its build took their toll. Advances in the last decade to chairlift technology made Mount Rose lift a bit obsolete. In January 1950, their insurance company canceled their liability policy, deeming the aging cable too much a hazard. A complete renovation was required and embraced. Not only would the cable be replaced, but upgrades to the chairs with footrests and safety bars, along with new hangers and pulleys, was planned. The goal was to provide a modernized lift with a smooth and quiet ride. The project was quickly completed within a month, and the lift was back online by May 1950, that same year. Six years later, the unthinkable would happen. The day was a typically hot and sunny summer day at Mount Rowe. Summer tourism was at its peak, and crowds gathered to the Mount Rowe single chair to enjoy a leisurely ride to the top of Mount Rowe. But Wednesday, July 25, 1956, would soon become a fateful day in the history of chairlifts and for the Rowe Mountain single chair. On this date, the country's first known documented fatal accident involving a chairlift would occur. The site's manager, Fritzy Bayer, was performing site maintenance at the base of the attraction. His son Bobby had just taken the trip down from the top and was assisting passengers into the chairs for their ascent to the top. 
Just after 10.30 a.m., the lift stopped, and the cable seemed to loosen. A witness near the base heard a loud noise. Upon looking up, he saw chairs fall to the ground between the lift towers closest to him. Each tower section heading up the hill fell consecutively until all the chairs and passengers crashed to the ground. During one of the first collapses, the witness heard water splashing. Upon immediate investigation, he came upon a small pond in which the chairs and their passengers had plunged. Near the top of the lift, Dr. L.H. Pryor, who thought a summer ride to the summit would be a great way to spend the morning, plunged to the ground, as did all the other passengers. Luckily, the doctor was uninjured and began working his way down the mountain to administer aid to those in need. He soon came upon William M. Kirby, 37 years old, who did not survive the 30-foot fall onto the rocks. Kirby's family was on the lift as well, and his 13-year-old stepson, Arthur Paquette, had been injured, but not critically. He was one of seven people needing hospitalization, three of which were treated and released, while four others required a brief stay. Kirby's wife had boarded the lift before her husband, but was unaware of his death until she was brought to the mountain's base. She collapsed at the news and needed to be hospitalized and sedated. Her 15-year-old daughter, Jean Paquette, traveled to the hospital with Arthur to receive treatment for his injuries. Manager Fritzy Bayer knew what just occurred was significant. He shut down all lifts, demanding an immediate inspection of each one. He supervised the rescue, directed staff and rescuers, and was open and honest to all requests for information on the accident. The press descended on the accident site, eager for news about what happened. Fritzy Bear was universally praised for his efforts, poise, and leadership during and after the accident. An investigation brought everyone back together who had worked on the 1950 upgrade to the lift, along with the local sheriff's department, to supervise the inquiry. The investigators discovered corrosion in the cable at the point where the chair was attached to it. Only a few strands of the thick cable supported the chair and passengers' weight, an obvious design flaw. The final report found no fault with the management of the site. Inspections occurred daily, exceeding the requirements of the time. A rubber sleeve had been installed covering the chair's attachment point to make for a smoother and quiet ride. The ride stayed offline all summer, and that fall, a complete overhaul was recommended and implemented. News of the accident reverberated throughout the industry and the nation. Despite the new lift installation six years earlier and management commitment to daily inspections, Negative publicity adversely affected Mount Rowe and the industry in general. As a result, new regulations were enacted to ensure public safety concerning chairlifts, a now popular and primary transportation mode for tourists and skiers. In October of 1956, the New Hampshire Passenger Tramway Safety Board formed to provide oversight of all ski toes, lifts, 
and tramways. The Mount Rose single-chair lift provided reliable and safe use after its 1956 overhaul. As time marched on, chairlifts became bigger and faster, and the slow single-chair lift became outdated. In 1978, the lift was decommissioned and removed from the mountain, survived only by pictures and the memories of those who enjoyed the ride. The site of the lift still provides for skiers, though as operations continue as a ski area. Gunstock Mountain Resort, formerly known as Mount Row, and then the Belknap Mountain Recreation Area, has six lifts and 55 runs and a vertical of 1,400 feet. Gunstock is the only county-owned and operated ski area in New England. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Many of us, myself included, have various moments in our lives where we could really use the help of someone who's a professional and is trained in the field. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that you can see at betterhelp.com reviews. Like this one, which reads, Stacy has helped me tremendously. When I look at how far I've come on my journey, I know I am where I am because of her. Or this one, which says, Jessica is a great listener and really tries to work with you. She's compassionate and seems to genuinely care about her clients and the job she does. Visit betterhelp.com slash in the wild. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for In the Wild listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash in the wild. And now back to In the Wild. If you want to experience a single chair lift, there is only one place in the United States to do so. In Waitsfield, Vermont, Mad River Glen has had a single chair carrying skiers to General Stark Mountain's top since 1948, becoming one of Vermont's first major ski areas. Its single chair lift had 158 chairs taking skiers to the top in 12 minutes. Mad River Glen is a unique ski area and has cultivated its uniqueness throughout its history. The area shuns snowmaking and extensive grooming efforts to preserve the natural challenges of skiing. Snowboarding is not allowed at the resort. Mad River Glen is a place for skiers to enjoy skiing in its purest form. 
The resort today still resembles how it originally looked in its early years. In 1995, the Mad River Glen Collective formed, enabling skiers a share of the resort. Today, the resort is entirely owned by its skiers, and shares continue to be available. By the 2000s, its aging ski lift required a major replacement or restoration. Restoration was much more expensive, but 86% of shareholders voted for that option. A restoration plan was developed, reusing as much of the original materials as possible. Next, $1.7 million was raised to finance the restoration. The lift shut down on April 8, 2007, work commenced, and the lift reopened that fall in time for the winter ski season. Today, and for years to come, you can enjoy the ride to the top of the mountain in single-chair style. A 50-year-old covenant by the Preservation Trust of Vermont protects the chair and the corridor beneath it. The second major chairlift accident in the United States occurred in Pomerel Ski Area, 18 miles south of Burley, Idaho, on January 1, 1973. Little detailed information can be found about this accident. Other than the chairlift malfunctioned, some say collapsed, seriously injuring 10 skiers and another 40 suffering minor injuries. Three doctors were skiing at the resort when the accident occurred and assisted with the victim's care and triage. A single fragmented report found online credits a ski lift inspector with a somewhat bizarre and amusing conclusion to the issue found at the Pomerel lift. Clearly, the cause of the problems are the passengers. It stated, most lifts are built well, maintained well, and are basically structurally sound. What makes them unsafe is people. Then he blames the snow. Snow is the worst enemy of the chairlift. Before he finally throws the blame on gravity. Very simply put, gravity is the enemy of the chairlift. Chairlifts have a lot of enemies. The 2010 American thriller film Frozen, directed by Adam Green, tells about three college students spending a weekend skiing and snowboarding at a New England ski resort. Going for one last run of the day, they board a chairlift, only to have it stop halfway up the mountain, stranding the three students on the lift. With the resort closed down for the night, they face freezing to death on the chairlift, or horrible injuries, attempting to dismount their chair and then try to make it down the mountain to call for help. Sound far-fetched? Unfortunately, it is not. There are more than a few incidents of skiers left behind on chairlifts to face the frigid night alone. Two local men, Stephen Mullen and Timothy Brault, boarded the last lift up West Mountain Ski Center late on Thursday afternoon on February 4, 1993. Located in Queensbury, New York, the mountain offers a 1,000-foot vertical drop with two primary chairlifts to the summit. When the lift suddenly stopped its ascent three-quarters of the way up, the men weren't concerned. Chairlifts stop periodically when the skiers have issues loading or unloading. But when the minutes began to pile up, a bit of concern crept into the men. They were suspended 30 to 35 feet above the ground 
and they were not close enough to a lift tower to climb down. As the light began to fade, they considered their options. Dropping from that height was to risk serious injury or death. They decided to sit tight and wait until someone found them. The minutes turned into hours. The warm temperatures during the day gave way to numbing cold down to 13 degrees. Still, they knew they would eventually be found. At 12.45 a.m., Brault's wife called the Warren County Sheriff's Department and reported her husband missing. 911, what's your emergency? Deputies began a search, starting with the Warren County Snowmobile Patrol dispatching to the ski area. At 4.30 Friday morning, the men were found, still waiting out the frigid temperatures after more than 12 hours stranded on the chairlift. Mullen and Brault were taken to the Glens Falls Hospital and treated for exposure and frostbite. We are just one week into a new year. How are those New Year's resolutions going? It's time to make a fresh start, and now is the perfect time to build hydration into your new healthy routines. That is where Hydrant comes in. Hydrant is a refreshing drink mix powder made with four key electrolytes, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. It's made with real fruit juice powder and no artificial sweeteners or synthetic colors. No nonsense, all science. For an extra boost, try new Hydrant Immunity containing vitamins A, B6, B12, C, and D, along with ginger and turmeric. Water meets wellness in a vitamin-packed drink mix that you can drink hot in these chillier months. Hydrant is backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 25% off your first order. Go to drinkhydrant.com wild or enter our promo code wild at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash wild and enter promo code WILD for 25% off your first order. Hydrant, where water meets wellness. Drinkhydrant.com slash wild. And now back to In the Wild. In another incident, Nadine Price boarded a gondola at Killington Ski Resort in Vermont on October 1st, 2011, to ride the lift down the mountains after hiking the mountain's summit trails. High winds and inclement weather forced the ski area to close the gondola, with Price stranded halfway down the mountain. It was 3.30 p.m. Over the next long hours, Price sat in the gondola, losing feeling in her hands and feet. Temperatures hovered around 35 degrees. She tried her cell phone, but she was in a dead zone without coverage. She moved her feet to keep warm, kicking them. She fought off the urge to sleep, fearing she would not wake up. She set her phone alarm every 30 minutes to awaken her if she did so. She thought she would die on the lift. When Price failed to return from her hike, Friends contacted Killington's Lodge to report her missing. Lodge staff and constables searched the hiking trails 
and then backtracked through the K-1 Express gondola cars when they found Price. When she came off the mountain, she required medical treatment. Despite her horrific ordeal, Price continues to ski. Skiing is her passion, and she refuses to give up what she loves doing and give in to a traumatic experience. Nightmares plagued her, though, and her lifelong partner claims her personality has changed. A jury awarded Price $750,000 in damages from a lawsuit she filed against Killington Mountain Resort, far above the requested compensation from Price's lawyers. The outcome from an appeal request by Killington Mountain Resort is not known. Finally, The Struggle to Survive by Josh Elliott is an encouraging story of determination and fortitude displayed by a young man in an inconceivable situation. 14-year-old Josh Elliott found himself in a similar situation on February 14, 2016. Josh rode up the last lift of the day to fit in one more run at Sugar Mountain Resort in North Carolina. Before reaching the top, the lift stopped. And unbeknownst to Josh, shut down for the day. Josh shouted for help during the next two hours. But his calls were drowned out by high winds and the roar of snowmaking equipment. As the sun dropped, the winds picked up and the temperatures fell. At six degrees above zero, Josh contemplated his options. He was 30 feet above the hard-packed snow. It would be a hard fall. Meanwhile, his mother reported her son as missing to officials at the resort. She found the area's response dismissive. Excuses from workers at the resort blamed the youth for wandering off trail. An immediate rescue effort was not launched delaying efforts to locate the teenager. On the lift, Josh was beginning to doze off. The falling temperatures worried the teen that he would fall asleep and freeze to death in the chair. Josh struggled to wake himself and pulled out his phone for yet another attempt to acquire a signal. As soon as he pressed the button, the phone died due to the low temperatures. He steeled himself with the determination to escape the chairlift and make it down the mountain on his own. He unhooked the snowboard from his boots and dropped it from the chair to the snowy surface 30 feet below him. Upon striking the snow, the board bounced off the surface, indicating the snow was icy or very hard packed. Not a good sign for the next object to fall from the lift. Regardless, he knew what he had to do. He carefully lowered himself off the chair grabbed the safety crossbar, and then the footrest, so he hung from the lowest point of the chair, closest to the ground. Bracing himself mentally for the impact, he let go. At impact with the slope, Josh lost consciousness. When Josh awoke, his entire right side throbs with pain. He had landed hard and broke both his right arm and right foot Upon striking the ground, Josh lay under the lift in the forest 200 feet away from the nearest ski trail. He tried to stand but immediately fell to the ground. At his current location, the ski lift's direct ascent was not above a maintained ski trail but in the thick woods. 
Josh braced himself once again and began crawling and dragging himself slowly to where he knew he would find a ski trail. The dense forest soon gave way to a service road, which led to the trail. 200 long yards later, he found himself on the edge of the run, Gunter's Way, an intermediate-slash-expert slope. After a brief rest, Josh began the crawl down the mountain. He could see the illuminated slopes below him, as the resort had now reopened for evening skiing. After 300 yards, Josh reached the lit terrain park and signaled some nearby snowboarders. Help was summoned, and Josh was so flooded with relief, he was on the verge of tears. The ski patrol transported him the rest of the way down the mountain, and an ambulance took him to a nearby hospital. Doctors discovered that Josh had shattered his hip and foot and broke his arm and wrist in several places. They also surmised he would not be able to play sports again. It would take Josh three months before he could walk, but he proved the doctors wrong and played football months after recovery. Josh now looks back at the experience as the worst he'd ever had, but appreciated the strength and growth he had undergone confronting the adversity. He was quoted as saying, I appreciate walking and the simple stuff now. Not that I didn't appreciate life before, but I definitely have a broader perspective now. It kind of opened my world to what's important to me and what really matters. Josh's family filed suit against the ski area, alleging the staff failed to check the chairlift for riders before the shutdown on that day. The case stated as being settled to the mutual satisfaction of all parties under confidential terms. Ski lifts provide reliable and safe transportation for skiers, boarders, and riders across the world. As financial pressure mounts for the seasonal ski industry, mountains have opened their doors in the summer to provide trails for mountain bike riding, utilizing traditional dormant lifts for that time of year. But despite its safety record, be prepared for the unexpected, because danger may lurk just past the next lift tower.